It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lords. everybody and welcome back to another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 90. Look, don't touch. I'm as always one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have Paul Gann. I'm hungry. Ah, well, what do you want to eat? Everything! <laughs> well, um... <laughs> How's it going, Paul? Hmm. <laughs> Do I really need to answer that question? You don't have to. <laughs> it's been a week, folks, uh, for both yeah. of us. So here we are at the end of it going, oh, crap, we didn't record. It's so, been one of those weeks. Yes, <laughs> one of those weeks. So hopefully this week won't affect our judgment of this episode too much. But we are here to discuss, of course, the latest episode of Doctor Who, the Saranga Conundrum. Paul, I don't have any news to talk about. Did you have anything before we jump into our review? I can't think of anything Doctor Who related. Of course, there's been a few other genre things that I've seen, but nothing related so much to Doctor Who. Right. So with that being the case, we're not going to waste any time. We're going to jump right in. The details are... This is Series 11, Episode 5, The Saranga Conundrum, premiered November 4th, 2018, was written by Chris Chipnall, directed by Jennifer Perrot, and the synopsis is as follows. As the 13th Doctor and her friends end up stranded without the TARDIS on a hospital ship in space with a strange and potentially deadly intruder on board, it is up to them, the crew, and the patients to figure out what it is, what it wants, and how to stop it before the creature tears the ship apart. It was a very long run-on sentence of a synopsis, but never fear, we got through it. (laughs) Paul, what are your quick spoiler-free reaction thoughts to the Saranga conundrum? My first question is, where were the cat nuns? (laughs) (laughs) There are a lot of hospitals in Doctor Who. This felt a lot like the David Tennant episodes that we got with the cat nuns in the face of Bo. The, 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 the general tone of it. Yeah. Yes, the, the general ambiance <laughs> yeah. of the episode, definitely. I will say this, my first preliminary thoughts on this without getting into spoilers. Uh, the subject matter that we were discussing in the episode or that we were addressing in the episode 
versus the tone of the episode to me and you know i'm a little bit of a darker guy but to me it felt a little bit too bright and shiny if you know what i mean it didn't feel dark enough to me because there were some there's some things in this episode that were sort of dark and sort of you know it was it was uh it was a very a very edge of your seat type story but not a very edge of your seat type tone in my opinion Okay. Uh, I think I see where you're coming from. I don't think I agree with it. Mm-hmm. I actually had a lot of fun with this episode. This is definitely one I will be revisiting. The The look of this show is just continues to be fantastic. The, the sets, the way that they film everything, the way that everything is just so rich and full on screen. Uh, and my God, the, the CG animation is the best Doctor Who has ever had. I will um, agree. So, uh, you know, from the spiders from last week and uh, Ting from this week, um, it's some really good stuff. I will say that I have seen the computer-generated graphics for this show drastically increase in the last 10 years. Yes. When we first got the Slovene, even even though you couldn't really <laughs> look at those characters as being... Um, something that would be sleek and, you know, seamlessly done as a CGI character, it wasn't as easy for them to keep it looking real world when they shifted from the costumes to the CGI versions of those characters. Right. I think if they were doing that today, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Maybe. Yeah, it would at least be a lot closer. That's for sure. All right. I think we should just start digging into this episode. So, cue River. <laughs> Spoilers. River has spoken. We are into spoiler territory, folks. All right, so, Paul, we we start off the episode with the Doctor and her companions losing the TARDIS again. What were they actually doing, though? The Doctor was trying to find a bunch of a certain thing. In the junk planet. Because I was wondering if they were looking for, like, spare parts for the TARDIS or, I mean... She might have been. I don't think they really (laughs) fully said. But she's like... But you you get the idea the Doctor always is a fan of a good junk planet because he gets to go through (laughs) and find cool things. It's it's like a a trip to the flea market. Right, exactly. (laughs) I thought it was kind of funny, though, that we started out with a scenario where the Doctor's like, well, wait a minute. There was another planet just like this. What if I'm on the wrong one, you know, <laughs> and, right. and Graham was like, seriously, are you kidding me right now? We've been here all day. <laughs> if I've been looking for this thing for four hours and we're on the wrong planet, what, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know. and then she starts listing off places that they've been and things that they've done. And he's like, all right, all right. You know, <laughs> I'm just saying needle haystack. <laughs> exactly. But then Graham finds something. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, Why does he ever find something? <laughs> mm-hmm. Sonic Mine. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we've seen one of these in the show before, have we? I don't think so. I'm not remembering one, at least. Just the idea of it is making my stomach flip a little. You know, it's like, I can't imagine what that thing does, especially to someone with two hearts. Turns your insides to jelly. Yeah, it's kind of what he, the, the nurses <laughs> said. And, of course, it goes off, which was even more unusual 
for Doctor Who. The Doctor didn't stop it. It goes off, and they wake up four days later on a medical ship called the Saranga. And they basically freak out. Well, at least the Doctor does. The Doctor freaks out because she doesn't want to lose the TARDIS again. Exactly! She's trying to, to get back to the TARDIS and tries to find the exit, finds out they're on a ship, not a you know actual hospital, is about ready to basically turn the ship around on her own when the nurse says, excuse me, I'm in charge. There are other people who need medical attention that you are being selfish about and not letting them receive the attention that they need. And basically puts her in her place. Well, not, not only that, he also says, oh, and by the way, if you tamper with the ship, they will blow it up. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, uh, that was... that's a little bit of a reason for pause right there. <laughs> right. And uh, the doctor begrudgingly begins to uh, you know, acquiesce to Astos's quest for patience. Um, although she says she doesn't like not being in charge. I don't like being told what to do. Yeah, right. I already got that. Yeah. <laughs> I figured that. So things calm down. We, we've met the other patients on this ship. Uh, we have essentially the most decorated war you know, general of her planet, Eve Cicero, and her brother, Dirkus, funny name, along with Eve's android clone attendant, Ronan. What do you think about this trio? Well, <laughs> uh, I don't think the brother and the um, companion liked each other at all. No. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there was a bit of prejudice on the brother's uh, part. Yeah, just a little. Um, but let's be honest, the, the android was a bit of a jerk. So, Well, the android is know. also you know pure logic and blunt, <laughs> so almost pure logic. He does talk the uh, the junior nurse into handing over some adrenaline blockers. Yeah, it, dude, that was a little bit dark right there. Um, yeah, yeah, it was one of those things where I was like, everything else about this guy, for the most part, up until the very end of the episode where he does the, the prayer, he's very cool, calm, collected, straightforward, analytical, logical, like an android would be, like kind of like Data. You know, in a sense. I can't wow, I we just it. had a Star Trek reference. I know. I was about to say that. I can't believe I just made a Star Trek reference on this podcast. But I did. But he has two moments where you go, so he's an android yeah. clone. How much of a human aspect or a, you know, a humanoid aspect is there actually to him? Because he basically manipulates the, the junior nurse into oh, giving boy. over some adrenaline blockers mm. for the safety of, you know, Eve Cisnero. Uh, in he, a way that he actually really does a little bit more than manipulate. Um, yeah, <laughs> threatens a bit. And... Yeah. It, 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 for lack of a better way of saying this, he's basically saying, "You don't really want us to ruin your life, now, do you?" Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, yeah, he just went dark, you know. Right, and and then at the at the end, when when she ends up dying, he has that moment of you know realization when she dies and then uh Dirkus invites him to to lead the the prayer to bid her farewell and he yeah. lights up like a christmas tree you know um he's all you know enthusiastic and, and very honored to do so and um I, I it was interesting because in some ways he was almost the most interesting of that trio to me in Maybe. some ways did you have any further thoughts on either of those three well, he was an eraser head 
<laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know how to respond to that. No, I say that in jest because the, the brother specifically says at the beginning, you can tell by his hair. Right, you know? exactly. <laughs> so, um, no, uh, I knew immediately when they brought those three in that the the guy in the middle was not normal. Right. Uh, he he almost had a plastic kind of feel to him, you know. Yes. Um, and uh, so yeah, but I, I tell you, uh, that character, along with some other things that went on in this episode, kind of gave me a Alien vibe, the movie Alien, because there was specifically the android in the Alien movie who was all friendly on the outside and then when push came to shove he got creepy <laughs> and this that's this character kind of reminded me of that aspect of that movie Except um, maybe backwards he kind of yeah. started creepy and then ended up friendly but but I saw some definite um, uh, influences I, I, I should say from uh, Ridley Scott's alien yeah well there's uh there's one other patient on board this uh, the Saranga. Mm-hmm. And that is a young man by the name of Yoss. And uh, what is Yoss in for? Well, got pregnant. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. You know, boys have boys and girls have girls. That's the way it works. Right. Not where we come from. <laughs> <laughs> really? How does that work? Ew. Ew. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Oh, but uh, but yeah. So <laughs> he's of course not not a human. He's a humanoid alien. They have babies in seven days, right? In a week, <laughs> he's one day overdue. So they might just induce because that would... <laughs> if they don't, it could be bad for both of them. <laughs> AKA perhaps a more oblique reference to your alien movie. <laughs> <laughs> Chestbuster. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Honestly, now that, you know, now that we bring it up, this, it felt like Chris Chibnall decided to say, okay, what if I took Alien and just reversed everything in it? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, because that's basically what this does is it takes the movie Alien and it reverses everything in the movie. You know, it's not this dark kind of, uh, aged kind of worn ship it's a polished kind of you know spotless white the alien itself is not the giant horrific xenomorph it's more like what if the baby from the dinosaurs tv show had been cloned with stitch from lilo and stitch you know what i'm saying <laughs> i mean <laughs> yes. I, I expected him to pick up something and throw it at them and go Mama, you know, <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh! I, I almost started the show out like that. <laughs> He's got to find a record to have him play Elvis on. Oh, oh dear. Wow. Um. Although you know, if they were doing it this scenario. Uh, they would probably do it with something more like Michael Jackson or Bruno Mars. True. True. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. So there, there's the rest of the, the patients. And then, of course, yeah. we, we have 
Astos and Mabley, the uh, the nurses, well, one of them is not <laughs> around for very long, uh, because we get this funny little alien, uh, at least he looks funny, called the Pating. He's not a patina, he's a the Pating. <laughs> but the Pating essentially rockets out of nowhere yeah. and slams into the ship and gets on board. He's an indestructible little ball of teeth and yeah. irritation. If you and, touch it, it's supposed to poison you. Right, exactly. So, <laughs> he, <laughs> there's only one person on the entire ship that's had, that has the ability to touch it, and he never touches it. Right, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. Um, so, yeah, this was funny, because then he starts <laughs> essentially running through the ductwork of the ship, eating stuff. And it starts causing problems. Whole systems start to shut down. Yes, all sorts of systems start to <laughs> shut down, including, of course, the escape pods first, which is where he gained access uh, to the ship. <laughs> and, of course, um, Astos ends up in the last of the escape pods before it essentially gets shorted and falls out of the ship and blows up. Here's and, what we got. Here's what we got. We got the we got the escape pod scene from the original Star Wars movie. But instead of not firing on the pod, they just blew it out of the sky. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> kind of. Even the even the angle of the shot resembled the shot from that movie where the escape pod was taken off from the ship. I mean, you got to think about it. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit, now that you mention it. Um, so he's just eating his way through the ship. Um, and of course the doctor has to find a way to stop it as well as make sure the ship makes its way to the planet they're supposed to get to, which they didn't originally want to go to in the first place. <laughs> right. Before the, um, automated systems register enough of an issue that the fail safe destruction of the ship in order to preserve the, uh, protection of the people at the final destination uh, gets kicked in. So we we are racing against two clocks. The first is this monstrous little creature who is going to eat the ship into oblivion. I'm hungry. I mean, you could almost hear him say that. <laughs> yes. All through the whole thing. There we go. Perfect. Perfect. Um, the second is if there's enough damage to the ship's systems, and that damage is acknowledged, the people running the ship will blow it up for safety. Right. The whole thing was set up to have this huge, huge sense of urgency. Mm -hmm. Okay, The entire episode was set up to have this huge sense of urgency. But because, and this is just my personal opinion, because of the way that it was shot, with everything being the gleaming white, and because of the... Uh, the, the tones and everything, you know, there wasn't this bombastic music and stuff like we used to get with, you know, Tennant and Smith and Capaldi. It just didn't feel as urgent to me as it was supposed to feel. Does that make sense? Um, yes. I, I don't necessarily know if it was supposed to, you know, there's a difference between a sense of urgency and a sense of tension and dread. See, um, that's what I'm used to getting from an episode like this, though, is that sense of tension and dread. But the you thing know? about this doctor is Jody is always focused on hope mm -hmm. and that hope lightens things and, and you know, helps, you know, 
she talks about it in this episode, you know, with uh, Mabley, um, you know, when she's first, she lists lists off all the different things she's a doctor of, you know, medicine, engineering, science, mm-hmm. candy floss, Lego, philosophy, music, problems, people, and hope, but mostly hope. <laughs> um, which I love the fact that you can be a doctor of Lego in in the future. <laughs> but the the other thing she continues to talk about when she ex- begins to expound on hope, because Mabley doesn't see any hope in this. The doctor essentially says, sometimes you have to imagine it. You have to imagine what the solution is and then find a way to get there. I suppose. And that, I think, is the thrust behind her entire motivation this entire episode is to is to make that imagined destination, which is the safety of everybody on the ship without it blowing up, either from the monster or the detonation device, and, and how she arrives at that. Because she is clinging to that hope. And that hope is what drives her. So I don't think we're going to get some of the darker tones that we were getting, especially with Capaldi. Capaldi was getting some dark episodes. I was kind of liking it. <laughs> I mean, I was liking it too because it was <laughs> new and unique and everything. Yeah. But I'm a sucker when it comes to hope stuff. I love things that revolve around hope and, and rely well, on hope. You and I are both big Fourth Doctor fans. Yes. And there were several areas in the fourth doctor era where we got some of that dark kind of, you know, storytelling. And I really loved that part of it, you know, but there was also a lot and, of fourth doctor episodes where we got the more lighthearted, right. hopeful stuff right. too. So, and, and I think the reason why I kind of gravitated more to the Peter Capaldi era was because some of that felt like it was going back tonally to the fourth doctor era. If you get what I'm saying. Um, and so I think that was one of the reasons I gravitated to that. Now, on the, the, the other side of this, going back to our, the alien in this story arc or episode, I should say. <laughs> this felt to me almost like I was going back and watching the horror of Fang Rock. Because in the horror of Fang Rock, you have that story where it's supposed to be this this sense of dread and the sense of urgency to find out what's going on and it, they do it so well up until the point where you actually see the Rutan. Yes. And then when you see the Rutan, it's like, okay, it's not scary anymore. You know? <laughs> to me, that's how this felt. When you saw the Patang, it's like, okay, I'm kind of getting into this. It's starting to you know, kind of give me those vibes of this is kind of getting a little bit on the creepy side and a little bit uh, putting an underlying tone of dread in there. And then the moment that I see the Pating, I'm like, okay, this isn't scary anymore. You know? <laughs> well, see, Does that I make sense. <laughs> it makes sense, but I took it a different way. I was like, what is this? What is going on? What are we going to find out? What is this thing? And this little tiny alien shows up. And I'm like, aw, that's kind of silly. And then he just roars and starts eating everything. I'm like, okay. See, every Cute little alien that- is dangerous. <laughs> Every time that they would cringe and like jerk away from him, I would start to laugh because I was looking at that and going, that's not scary, you know? <laughs> and so I'm wondering why everybody else is being so terrified of this thing that is not scary to me, you know? I mean, I, I don't know. He had a Smurf tail. <laughs> I mean, really? <laughs> Now, (laughs) 
I mean, you know, I mean, he, he had Stitch's eyes. You know, Stitch looks like a freaking koala bear, you know. Right. And, and you know, koala bears are not scary, you know. Um, koala bears are mean, <laughs> though. They are angry sons of guns. But they're not terrifying, you know. <laughs> I mean, well, th- this isn't a horror episode. <laughs> this is not supposed to be arachnids in the UK. This is supposed to be, oh my gosh, uh, how are we going to get out of this mess? You know, this is this is not a horror episode. <laughs> this is not supposed to be alien. This is not supposed to be terrifying. This oh, is supposed to be. I don't know. How do we get out of the mess? That's I, what this is. I don't know. It, it just didn't feel threatening to me. Let me put it that way. You know, well, um. it doesn't feel threatening <laughs> in and of itself to the direct detriment of our characters because it doesn't need organic matter however it will eat the entire spaceship around them it will expose them to space the ship will blow up and it will float away minding its own business eating the explosion (laughs) which is what it ends up doing at the end you you know what i think i would have wanted to see in something like this something more along the lines of a gremlin well i kind of thought of a gremlin (laughs) when he first showed up and started screaming his head off i was like maybe we should that was what I couldn't think of when we were coming up with the title of this episode. <laughs> gremlins in space. Space um, gremlin? Yes. <laughs> this, this little space gremlin. It's a cousin to Stitch. <laughs> but the thing is, this... Okay, you, you've seen you've seen the Bugs Bunny cartoons. I know you've seen those. Oh, yes. Yeah, what's up, Don? <laughs> Do you remember the gremlin on the Bugs Bunny cartoon? Uh, oh, he's like this really bored, dopey-faced looking character, right? <laughs> That's what this reminded me of. It's like that that version of the gremlin. You know, it's like I'm just doing this to mess with you. You know. <laughs> wow, you did not like the thing. <laughs> oh, I don't know. It just see. I don't know. It's, there's <laughs> this is not supposed to be a freaky episode. This is supposed to be an adventure episode because. There's all this humor in it. They're making jokes. You got Ryan and Graham being midwives, for goodness sake. Yeah, that's funny. That yeah, funny. so, you know, <laughs> they're, they're basically shepherding this young man who's like, do I actually want to be a dad through childbirth? That was more of Graham's and, and Ryan's storyline extended right there. Yeah. You know, uh, going back to the whole definition of family and everything. You know, right. they're really, really, which I mean, I know. And that's another thing. <laughs> Chris Chibnall is is feeding that thread through each and every episode, which is great. Right. Mm-hmm. But have we seen one single episode so far this entire series that Chris Chibnall has not written? He's at least co-written everything. I mean, I've seen I mean, like four episodes look, where he's written it and one where he's co-written it. And I thought they were supposed to have a writer's room. Well, he's in charge of the writer's room, which means he gets top billing. I don't get it, man. I mean, I don't know. I think I'm pretty sure with the writer's room and everything, that's a collaborative effort. But because he's kind of in charge and he gets the final say, he gets final billing. Yeah. <laughs> Although we know. do have, I'm looking right now on wikipedia.com of the list of episodes we've got coming up. The next four don't have his name in the written by column. So Really? Yep. Okay, so that's interesting. Maybe he just didn't trust anybody else to get it off the ground. You know, maybe he just didn't feel like that they were going to have the 
the directionality that he that thought they should have. It's possible. I mean, this is his baby now. It's his series now. He's got to figure it out. He's got the vision, and maybe he's just like, all right, I know what I'm looking for. I know what I need, mm-hmm. and he's going to make sure it gets that way, even if he has to go back and write the entire episode himself. <laughs> Even if he has to make some bad choices with some aliens. Oi! <laughs> I like the pating. Back off on Stitch. We finally know Experiment 626's species mm. name. Okay. <laughs> you, sir, are a Debbie Downer this episode. I, I like Stitch. I didn't like the pating. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're also. (laughs) We all have our likes and dislikes. (laughs) I I don't know. I'm going (laughs) to bite my tongue on that one. Hey, I said before this episode started that this might be the most divisive episode of this entire series so far. (laughs) One thing we did get that is a a through line thread that we've had um, (laughs) is now the discussion about fathers and ryan's father in particular ryan is beginning to come to the point where maybe he he doesn't like how his father behaved he's not necessarily ready to forgive his father for what his father did after his mother died but he seems to be at least be in the beginning stages of understanding perhaps what it was like from the other side Right. So what did you think about that thread being explored in this episode? Just based on, though, what he has said about his father and indicated through other people talking about his father, it almost feels like that even though he wants to forgive his father and he wants to understand his father, he still isn't convinced that his father wants to have a real relationship with him. Right. And so because of that, even if Ryan comes to terms with this whole thing about his dad, it still doesn't guarantee that he's even going to have a relationship with him at all. Right. Because uh, he's not going to want to be in a relationship with somebody that he isn't convinced wants to have a relationship with him. Yeah. And so that is, and, and I mean, that's just looking at it from a realistic standpoint, you know, um, he's got somebody right there in front of him who wants him, who wants to be his family, who wants to be a father figure to him, who loves him like he's his own, but he's still so focused on the the person who acts like they could take him or leave him that he can't see what's right in front of his face. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's interesting. I wonder if we're actually going to see Ryan's dad at all in this series. You know, uh, we, we actually also got a little bit of history on his mom, uh, how she died, how old he was when she died, uh, died of a heart attack, making dinner in the kitchen, essentially. And Ryan is the one who found her. Mm-hmm. That's traumatic at 13. Yeah. yeah. And then essentially he says his dad just kind of oh, disengaged. I just I just had a thought. Um, this whole scenario with Ryan and his dad and Graham. All right. Do you remember? I mean, I'm sure you've seen The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Oh, Yes. Do you remember the episode of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air where his dad came back? Don't think I saw the full episode, but I've seen okay. the clip on YouTube and he yes. where he comes back and talks to um, Uncle Phil afterwards. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the most raw emotional mm-hmm. scenes ever on 
television, in my opinion. This scenario with, with Ryan reminds me of that episode of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air because his dad comes back. He spends this entire episode acting like he wants them to reconnect and to to have a relationship again. That he gets to the end of the episode and he abandons him all over again. Yeah. And you've got his uncle Phil there who has to pick up the pieces from that again. And you've got, you've got Will in the episode saying, why doesn't he want me? And his uncle Phil is there being his father because his real father doesn't want to be his father. Right. And I think that episode in that series shifted everything tonally to the point to where from that episode forward in the series, Will and Phil had more of a father-son relationship than they ever did before that, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think I think that if they bring uh, Ryan's father back in this series, we're probably going to end up seeing a very similar thing go down. And that that's going to end up being the catalyst of what causes Ryan and Graham to finally embrace that relationship of being family. Yeah. You know, that's a that's a really good point. I like that. I'm, now I want to <laughs> see that happen in Doctor Who. Um, <laughs> it's weird how sometimes those things just pop into your head. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one funny little thing that got a mention in the episode um, that I, I, I'm pretty sure is just a throwaway reference, but um, when the Doctor meets General Eve Cicero, uh, she's like, "Oh, you're in the Book of Celebrants." Yes. And uh, she gets all excited about some of the things that the the general did and how she's impressed and all that stuff. And then the general asks the doctor her name. And she says, oh, the doctor. And, and then she starts walking out the door and the general's like, wait, that name is familiar to me. Aren't you also in the book of celebrants? Isn't there a chapter de- dedicated to you? Oh, no, no, me? No, not at all. And, you know, that sort of thing. And she starts walking out the door and then she pops her head back in. Actually, it's more of a volume. <laughs> Because the doctor cannot ever avoid letting the ego come right, out. Right, right. <laughs> that was a total Matt Smith maneuver, in my opinion. No, that was a Colin Baker moment. Ah, there. you're right. It was. <laughs> that was a total Colin Baker moment. Sixth doctor. <laughs> what? Me? No, no, no. I'm not that great. Well, I'm the greatest, but I'm not that great. (laughs) I'm not that great. I'm just better. Right, exactly. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Great callback. Oh, my gosh. Book of Celebrants. (laughs) Makes me wonder who all's in there. How many times the Doctor is in there under different names? (laughs) Mr. Smith. (laughs) John Smith. John Smith. We had another John Smith. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Mr. Smith is the is the computer on Sarah Jane uh, Chronicles. So as long as Brigadier Alistair Gordon Lethbridge Stewart made it into the Book of Celebrants, I'm happy. Oh man. Oh. Because you just need to have a name like that in the Book of Celebrants. That the the Book of Celebrants sounds pompous enough that you need to have someone to fill that with their name. You know, Brigadier Alistair Gordon Lethbridge Stewart. <laughs> Okay, so we get to the point where the the ship systems are essentially going, uh, danger, danger, Will Robinson. And, <laughs> and which means that they're likely going to be blown up from uh, the planet they're heading to before they reach there. So the doctor goes, wait, 
we're too far away for missiles. There must be a bomb on board, an automatic self-destruct mm-hmm. kind of a thing. I know. I know how to solve all of this. So she goes, grabs the bomb, <laughs> and is essentially puts it in the airlock so that the little yeah. thing can go eat it, and she can blow it out into space. It essentially puts it in there and goes, here, kitty, 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 kitty. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, she says it's, you know, think of the pating like a mouse, and the bomb is like a really big piece of cheese. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> what do, this thing is like one of the raccoons on the great outdoors. <laughs> don't think I've seen the great outdoors. With John Candy? <laughs> no. Oh, my God. If you have not seen that movie, you need to go see that movie. You're like, ASAP. That is hilarious movie. <laughs> oh, it is so funny. <laughs> I will I will remember that. But no, the, the the raccoons are always scavenging through their garbage cans and stuff. And they have to, they get up the next morning and the, the garbage cans are like upside down mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, because the, the raccoons are just, you know, relentless. This thing's relentless like one of those raccoons. Well, it is. <laughs> and that's the thing is that it, it's kind of goofy. It's a little weird, but it won't <laughs> stop. It just won't stop. It is going to eat the entire ship piece <laughs> by piece. Because I'm hungry. Exactly. <laughs> and none of the metal is satisfying it. It's going for energy. It almost goes for the antimatter engines, which is when Yaz and yeah. Ronan stun it, and she wraps it up in this uh, medical blanket and essentially drop kicks it down the hallway. Which we figured out what that scene was from the trailer now. Yes. But my, my thing was, how much good are you really doing just drop kicking this thing down the hall and then running it back into the room because it's going to come back right you know it's going to come back in my in my thoughts it would have been smarter to have wrapped it up run it to the airlock thrown it in and spaced it (laughs) you know well i don't think she would have had enough time because he's maybe because you know ronan said that the the uh, it's only going to be stunned for a few seconds. So I don't think she would have been able to make it to the airlock. I don't know. Although she does uh, reference a soccer player, Seoban uh, Chamberlain. Uh, that's football for you folks, uh, not in America. But uh, yeah, everywhere else in the world except America. Right. Soccer player, footballer. And so she's like, I'm going to be like, you know, Miss Chamberlain. And she drop kicks the. Uh, ting down the hallway like a soccer player kicking the ball downfield. You know, I'm starting to think about these scenarios and I'm starting to wonder if that's the reason why people think Americans are so arrogant. <laughs> the fact that we have different names for everything than everybody else. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and the fact that everywhere else in the world except for us uses the metric system. <laughs> we don't use, you know, we use the, the, the 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 stand the English standard system yeah, I, and everybody else uses the metric system including England right <laughs> we we use Fahrenheit everybody else uses Celsius or centigrade you know yeah I mean I'm starting to wonder about that you know maybe that's why everybody thinks that we're so arrogant over here <laughs> it's possible but speaking of arrogant the doctor is almost foiled in her little plan to trap and trick the Pating into the airlock with the bomb because he uh, takes a sweet time. Going after it. It's like, oh, man, this would be a really embarrassing time to be wrong. <laughs> but then the Pating yeah, shows up and, and manages to eat the bomb just in the nick of time. It's like it's looking at it and going, ooh, ah, is it? Know? What is it? 
but he, yeah. he ends up with a happy face as he, you know, continues to absorb the massive amount of energy that the explosion creates in his stomach um, as he is spaced and uh, is let to drift amongst the asteroids until he decides he's hungry again. Dude is so full that he just basically goes into a freaking coma. Yes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he goes into a food coma. I mean, I'm, I'm like, wow, just wow, you know? <laughs> but um, I almost expected it to be like one of the cartoons, you know, like, once again, like a Bugs Bunny cartoon or whatever, like where they accidentally eat the stick of dynamite or something. <laughs> and when they blow up, their stomach stretches out like 15 times its normal size and then they deflate like a balloon, you know? I almost wondered if it was going to be something like that. <laughs> yeah, it almost was. <laughs> Which I would have laughed at, you know, because I'm a big fan of the Looney Tunes. But this is not Looney Tunes. This is Doctor Who. It is. Now, one of the things I've, I've, I've noticed we've talked about in the last several episodes is the amount of reality and realism that we've been right? seeing. And I'm like, but wait, Doctor Who's a fantasy show about traveling through time and space. It's a sci-fi fantasy show with time travel. Why does it have to be reality? And so I was actually really happy to see something that was not at all real world that we got to explore. But this took me back to the rhino-headed aliens on the moon, though. I mean, this was completely, completely ludicrous, you know? I mean... <laughs> the Jadoon on the moon? Yes! <laughs> I mean, I kind of enjoyed that storyline, but I was like, I just don't care for the antagonists at all you know doctor who I mean, needs a little ridiculous every now and then we can't be so somber and realistic all the time it, it is a sci-fi fantasy show about time travel i like this levine better than this oh just and they were the farting zipper heads i mean from that's yeah the family the slovene oh yes that the species was the rex <laughs> Raxacocalipatorians. Oh, <laughs> yes, that's why I didn't say that. Raxacocalipatorian, <laughs> Raxacocalipatorian, Raxacocalipatorian. Mm hmm. <laughs> now you try. Oh. <laughs> I don't normally have problems saying that off mic. <laughs> I'm not going to risk it on mic. Touche. <laughs> It'll be like trying to say supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. See there? Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> you could say it backwards. It's just dosis expialidocious rufus, but that would be too pompous, wouldn't it? Indubitably. Sorry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll stop showing off now. Um, <laughs> at least my ectospleen isn't hurting. <laughs> that was what was bothering the doctor. Dick Van Dyke says that backwards, what? by the way. <laughs> no, Mary Poppins does. Well, one of them does. She does, yes. That's <laughs> what I was quoting. Um, or attempting to quote. Now it's, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. I've heard the song more recently, which is where she quotes it in. Anyways, we're not talking about Mary Poppins here, folks. Even though there is a theory that she is a Time Lord. Yes! And I like that theory. Yes, because, I mean, her bag, hello, TARDIS technology. And she just kind of floats oh. in on the wind and kind of disappears when she's not needed anymore. <laughs> uh, perfect Time Lord behavior to me. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I do want to uh, quickly, though, read the prayer that we got at the end because I thought it was really nice. And I've got this here on the Radio Times uh, review of the Saranga Conundrum. 
The prayer is as follows. May the saints of all the stars and constellations bring you hope as they guide you out of the dark and into the light on this voyage and in the next and in all the journeys still to come for now and evermore. I like that. That has a really nice ring to it. And I think while it's a prayer of farewell to uh, the general because her condition was too far along for her to survive what she had to do in this episode uh, is being a neural pilot where the ship is essentially attached into her nervous system and she piloted that way. It's a farewell to her because she died, but it's also sort of a, a nice little thesis statement for the episode in and of itself, bringing you hope, guiding you out of the dark and into the light from one voyage to the next, all the journeys still to come, you know, it's kind of, kind of a nice little thing to wrap up this episode. It's the bow to wrap the episode up. It's the cherry on top. It's a little cheesy and corny if you look at it that way, but it's nice, and I liked it. What do you think about it? I think I won't be ending our episodes with that. No. <laughs> it's too long. It is too long. <laughs> uh, no, I do like it. I thought it was really nice. Like you said before, it, it has a, a sense of hopefulness to it, mm -hmm. you know. And see, but it, it, it's like I said before about the tone of this thing. I heard somebody say once that hope shines the most in darkness. Mm -hmm. And so to me personally... I would have got even more of a sense of hope with like the final parts of this story with like everything that happened at the end. If we had come out of a little bit deeper darkness, if that makes sense, as opposed to having a more hopeful tone throughout it, the entirety of the episode. Well, it, 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 it makes sense, but here's the thing. And I, this sort of just clicked in my brain right now. The darkness doesn't have to be super deep and super dark. Uh, the, what's his name? Um, Yoss is going through this darkness of unintended consequences. You know, he's like, I don't know what to do. You know, I don't, do I even want to keep this baby? But yet he's been, he give, he's given hope in order to say, yeah, I'm going to make a try at this. I'm going to try and be a father. I'm mm -hmm. going to try and raise this kid. It was, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I intended to happen, but it's important now. And I'm going to try it. Mabley is so nervous, so scared, mm -hmm. not confident at all in her abilities to keep people alive, to, to do this on her own. But she ends up, you know, essentially being one of the steadiest characters at the end of the episode. She finds her confidence. She finds her hope. You know, she's, she's living in this crippling self doubt at the beginning of the episode, but she finds her confidence. The brother and sister, the, the general and the engineer, they are completely estranged from each other. Yeah. And he's mad at her because she won't tell him what's wrong with her and she's holding him at bay because she can't allow uh, this illness to define her career, you know, and, and they are locked apart at the beginning, but through the hope of this episode and what the, the difficulties presented allow them to reconnect and allow them to have a special moment where his skills and her skills come together and they're able to help save everyone else on the ship. And so I think that's, that's the thing about this episode is that, Yes, we're coming out of darkness and into the light. That's the hope of this episode. But sometimes it, it doesn't have to be this deep darkness. It doesn't have to be all despair and terror and all this stuff. It's sometimes it's the silent darkness of our own insecurities. Okay. And I think that's more where the focus of of the hope was, was dedicated in this episode. Because, yes, we have this situation where there's this alien and they're in trouble in deep space and all this stuff. But the characters are what's most important in this story and, and how everyone 
gets through their situations and how they're able to come together and work together and inspire each other to overcome their circumstances. That's the important part of this episode. So you're saying my focus is skewed. I think it is. <laughs> and, and and I'm not saying that, you know, you're wrong for, for focusing on what you did. But, you know, I the way I read this episode is that the focus is on the other side of that, not not the 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 deadly danger that they could be finding themselves in. The focus mm-hmm. is on the people and how they come together to overcome that deadly danger. Okay. I'll give you that. Well, thank you. <laughs> they, they, they manage to make it out. Okay. They end up back at the, the space station, recess one safe and sound. They get rid of the, the pating only. Pating. Ask, yes. Pating. <laughs> shoot them out into space. So, sounds like the sound effect that you'd have on one of those old cartoons when they're sp- spitting into a spittoon, you know? <laughs> <Ding>. <laughs> yes. And thankfully, only Astos and the general end up biting the dust here. You know, I, I'm really sad that Astos died because I loved the interaction between him and the doctor. The way that they, the, the fact that he doesn't take her crap at all and gives it right back to her was so great that he's one of my favorite characters from this episode, and they kill him off in five minutes. Did you catch the indirect reference to Nine in this episode? Uh, remind me what you're thinking of. When the general goes to run into the other room, and she says, I'm going to make sure that everybody lives. Ah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> including myself. <laughs> well, she's the only other one who dies, um, unfortunately. <laughs> That was a, that, I, I caught that immediately because that took me back to Eccleston going, just this once, everybody lives. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which I is feel prob- like he put that in there on purpose. <laughs> that is my favorite Eccleston moment, by the way. I love that moment. That is, that, is the, that is the quintessential nine for me. Well, that might have been the darkest moments of his season and the lightest moments of his season all wrapped into one story arc. Right. Right. The only exception to that might possibly be the end of Dalek. Yeah, that was probably the darkest. (laughs) (laughs) Cheapers. I'm sorry. I can't help but go back and compare Jody's doctor just a little bit to, to Eccleston's doctor, you know, I mean, I don't know if it's the accent or what it's just, well, the accent definitely helps um, in that comparison. (laughs) I think that's all I have. Was there anything else you wanted to bring up from this episode? I think we talked about the most important parts of it. Um, I I didn't feel like that this story uh, had as many layers to it necessarily as some of the ones we've gotten. No. uh, Prior to this, uh, which might be one of the reasons why I'm having as much of a different feeling about it as as I am the the previous four. Mm -hmm. You know, because... It is a different style of storytelling. Right. It is a different tone than what we've gotten. It is not as real world feeling as the previous four were, mm-hmm. which is fine as far as that goes, because that's what I'm used to having in Doctor Who. It's just there are certain little aspects that took me out of it in comparison to what the previous four did, if that makes sense. Um, and I've already kind of talked about those, you know, already yeah but 
and and it could be me getting in my own head too much, you know. Uh, but everybody has their own feelings about stuff, and everybody right. has their own opinions about stuff, and and everybody has a specific style that they prefer over something else. Exactly, and everybody so, has those things that make you get in your own head about things. So you know, and it, it's you know, it, and especially, and you're right, there is a dramatic shift in tone from, mm-hmm. it, especially when it comes to the the real world aspects to the fantastic aspects. I mean, we got a kind of fantastic aspect last episode with the, the spiders because they just right. got so gigantic, even though they were supposed to be, you know, our spiders just blowed up. Right. But then we went straight from that to, holy moly, we're on a super slick futuristic <laughs> spaceship and we got a little, you know, stitch alien running around <laughs> eating things. My, and, and there's, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. <laughs> and and there's a, a a man about to give birth to a baby yeah. and you know all this stuff. So yeah, there there that is a dramatic shift, but you know Doctor Who has never been one to have a consistent tone for the episodes throughout an entire season. They do this. They go back and forth. They do all sorts of stuff. But I do think you're you know maybe Maybe production order might have been a little bit dramatic shift in realism well, to fantastical. The, the the pating reminds me a little bit of my youngest son because I spent the last two hours before I got on to record listening to him go, I'm hungry! I'm hungry! I'm hungry! You know, and I told him, I said, look, saying that doesn't make the food cook any faster. Okay? <laughs> Just, you know, so... So yeah, I, so I, I I got to the point where I was thinking, you know, this is the pating, you know, <laughs> just eat, 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 and acts like he's never had an, anything to eat in his life, uh, even though he eats all day. But no, um, I'm going to go ahead and, and do my rating. All right. Well, what should we rate this? I'm, I'm thinking we either spittoons. <laughs> I was going to say I was thinking we should either rate it bombs or avocados. Let's do avocados. Yes, avocados. <laughs> I just got to say real quick, the fact that he see, thinks avocado is a much more socially acceptable name than Ryan and Graham is hilarious. I know, right? Yes. <laughs> I can't name them that. <laughs> They'd be laughing stock. Right? <laughs> All right, then. You know, when they uh, just sort of like, a, a, okay. Obviously, people name their kids weird things in the future like crayon and right. <laughs> skillet and <laughs> yeah exactly uh, or avocado this is my daughter humvee <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> i love lamp lamp is my wife <laughs> here's a guy who just made an anchorman reference uh, <laughs> Oh, (laughs) all right. So we're broadening our references on our show. (laughs) Say that again, but don't. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Um, we 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 are slap happy. It is late enough in the week and late enough in the night that we are just slap happy, folks. Hey, just enjoy it. Oh, I am. (laughs) I'm just wondering if everyone else is enjoying it as much as we are, because we could come off as a bit loopy. There's no hey, alcohol here. We got to be good at something. There's no alcohol involved in this. This is just. We're high on life. We're unhinged. We're just idiots. <laughs> Madman in a box. 
<laughs> okay, Tigger. <laughs> okay. How many avocados are you going to rate the Saranga conundrum? As I was saying before Jason took us in a different direction. Um, <laughs> um, I, I, I like the story of this. I like the overall performances of the characters. The, the thing I had the most issue with personally is the fact that I, if I were going to tell this story, I would have told it in a different style. I would not have told it in the lightheartedness that it was told in. I would have had humor in it. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But I would not, I would, I would have, I would have probably made it like more of one of those race against time type movie scenarios where, you know, uh, sort of like speed, you know, mm-hmm. where everything's kind of edge of your seat, you know, kind of what's going to happen next kind of things. Uh, that's just the style that I probably would have chosen to tell this in. That being said, uh, I liked it. I didn't love it. Okay. It's not my favorite. I don't want to give it a super low rating, but at the same time, I don't want to give it an unfair high advantage uh, either. So for me personally, I'm going to go with a six and a half. Okay. Fair enough. See, and folks, this is where Paul and I are very different here. I like the lighthearted nature of this episode. I liked it a lot. It was a fun episode. Um, I thought the story was fine. I do think if it suffered in any way, it suffered because there was there was too many people uh, that we had to split our attention between. I think there were. I think if we had done away with one or two characters, well, they did. <laughs> From the get-go, sir. It was kind of fun watching them go, too. Oy. Now you're just being morbid. But I, I and, and I say that because I liked in in theory, I liked the story going on between the general and her brother. Mm-hmm. But I don't really care that much about them. I care mm-hmm. more about their android because he's more interesting to me for whatever reason. <laughs> um I I, I would have liked to have seen a little more screen time with him, to be honest. The the characterization that the actor pulled off with that, the the, the plasticness that's ever so slightly lifted every once in a while, just to give you an idea of a glimpse that there's something else underneath there, was really fascinating to me. He was the K2SO of this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Star Wars reference. K2SO from Rogue One, a Star Wars Am I wrong? No. (laughs) <laughs> blowing things up, you know, he'd rather shoot the thing and wouldn't he just was, really want to help anybody except who he's supposed to. He was definitely more K2SO than he was C3PO. Oh, that's, that's for sure. For sure. <laughs> but, you know, I guess that's what happens when you're android to a general. <laughs> yeah, I, and so I, I think if if it suffered at all, it is they tried to get too many stories, too many storylines going and too many stories wrapped up in the one episode. I think maybe it was a little full in that regard, but you couldn't necessarily, you know, take one of those away and focus that attention on the Pating because I think if you had overshown the Pating, that would have been detrimental. I think what we got with him was fine and was good for the story that they were trying to tell, but if you showed him any more, I think that would have been detrimental to the episode. I feel like if you were going to show anything at all to do with the Pating more so than what you did, in the show that we already got is to not show him physically, but to show more damage going on throughout the ship. Yeah. Than what we got, yeah. if that makes sense. No, the, I, I agree. I agree. 
because one of the more <laughs> one of the more interesting shots of the pating is when they're in the duct and there's this camera's just kind of going down the the duct and there's pieces of shell flying into the the tunnel behind him we, he's around the mm-hmm. corner we can't see him we can hear him we kind kind of see his shadow but we just see pieces of ductwork and piping and stuff getting thrown behind him and so yeah if we saw more stuff like that or more stuff where people are going through the ship and they could hear him running in the walls and that kind of thing mm-hmm. that would have been good but overall i really enjoyed it i thought you know the characters were fun i i did like the whole pregnant man scenario cracked me up. It was just, it was so weird and goofy and sort of awkward and uncomfortable that it, it cracked me up the whole time. Um, and of course, you know, Graham's like, I, I can do this. I, you know, I watched all the episodes of, you know, called the midwife. And then he gets in the middle of it. And he's like, Oh, I can't unsee that. <laughs> but, um, but I think overall, I'm going to give this episode – it was a fun episode. It, it wasn't necessarily um, a standout. This is one I'll go back when I want some, you know, just sort of Doctor Who adventure. I'll go back and watch this. But it's not like a big standout tentpole episode that you're going to hang the season off of. This fills out well, the picture. It's not the, the hook. I'm not saying that this is an exact scenario with this particular episode, but it's like I was telling my son tonight. I said, son, there are some movies that you watch – because you need to have inspiration or depth or, you know, some kind of influential storytelling or whatever. I said, there's other movies that you go back and watch just because you want to have some dumb fun. Yes. You know? Yes. <laughs> you know, and I'm, and I'm not saying that's what this episode is, but I'm just making a point exactly. to say, you know, it depends on the mood that you're in. And what you need. <laughs> and boy, after the week I've had some goofy alien running around a spaceship and some weird... People with a pregnant man and calling his kid avocado and um, all this stuff. You know, that was what I needed. So I'm going to give this episode a seven and a half. I liked it a lot. So I'm, I'm it's not going to be the hook for the season. I, I, I know it's not. But it was a fun enough episode to fill out the rest of the picture and enjoy revisiting it. So. Okay. Now I have a question. No. Considering that we're halfway through this series. Okay. Yes, we are. That is a good point. We're at the halfway mark. On a scale of 1 to 10, where would you rank this series so far and what we've gotten? Let's see. On a scale of uh, Hartnell to Tenet, <laughs> um, I'd say we're about a Paul McGann. <laughs> I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, overall, uh, there. you know, the thing is, is there's not, there hasn't been a ton of like super standout, impressive moments. Rosa definitely you know, takes the cake so far in the season in that regard. Um, but there aren't that many low points right? in this season either. It's a steady as she goes kind of a season. And, and that I think ends up with a higher average when you kind of line them all together. Right. So uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to rate the season thus far at the halfway point about an eight. Well, I mean, in comparison to other series that we've gotten in the past, I'm not saying that, we had other series that had episodes that were just garbage, but you, I think you're saying kill the moon wasn't garbage. I'm saying it was just above garbage. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> compost, compost. Um, <clears throat> uh, I, well, let me put it this way. I, I, I liked sleep no more a lot more than I liked kill the moon. 
I know there's a lot of people who are like, what the heck? He likes Sleep No More? You actually kind of turned me around on Sleep No More a little bit. I, it's it's not my favorite, but I like it well, well enough. I, I, I liked it because of the fact that I could see things in it. I could read things into it that other people didn't necessarily see. You know, mm-hmm. I felt like if we had gotten a another visit with that, like we were supposed to, it could have redeemed itself, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. because certain things could have been addressed that were questionable to begin with. That being said, I feel like that consistency is better Yes, in this series compared to what we've had in some previous ones, because in some previous ones, we've had some super highs and some pretty low lows. And you know, I'm not saying that, that a lot of those episodes were just total garbage, but they just weren't at the level of some of the other stuff that we've got. Right. You know? Right. And I feel like that across the board, this one has been more consistent. Yes. I I would definitely agree with you on that. Even the ones that aren't as good, in my opinion, are more meh than they are. Oh my God, what did they do? If you get what I'm saying, if if that makes sense, you know? Yeah. So I feel like, I feel like that if the rest of the series continues in that direction, or even goes in an even higher elevation, we're, we're in for some good stuff. I think so, too. And, of course, you know, this just means we're going to be ramping up to the series finale now um, and uh, the, the season finale. And, and it can it's got to go uphill from here, I would one would think. Um, well, I mean, they've got to wrap up to some kind of climax. Exactly. And, so uh, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see what that is. Yes, it will. <laughs> so. All right. Which one of us do you agree with more on this episode? Let us know. Uh, did you enjoy it more like me? Do you have fun with it more like me? Or, would you, or were you more like Paul going, what the heck is this? Because I get the feeling that this is going to be that kind of an episode for people. I'm curious to see where people fall on this episode. This, this, this is the last Jedi of the series. Oh, that's a little bit harsh. I'm a huge Last Jedi fan, though, so, you know. <laughs> I liked Last Jedi. I didn't love it. but we, we would differ on that then, too, because I loved it. <laughs> Solo is much more my speed. Than, oh, I love that, too. So. And there we go. We're off talking Star Wars again, All folks. Right. All right, guys, you, here's what you have to understand about me and Jason. My favorite Star Wars movie up until uh, Episode Seven hit was... Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> My favorite Star Wars movie <laughs> is still Return of the Jedi. <laughs> so therein lies the taste difference, you know, with me and Jason. Yes. So so we want you to get involved <laughs> in the discussion. Let us know what side of this avocado you fall on. <laughs> Talk to us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Talking Time Wars, where you can also find a link to our group. Uh, you can tweet us at, at Talking Time Lord. You can email us at TalkingTimeLords at gmail.com. Of course, please visit our website, TalkingTimeLords.com, where you can find links to all of the social media and links to every single one of our previously released episodes. Please check that out. We do have a Patreon account. We don't have any rewards yet, but we do have a Patreon account. Yes. And if you want to leave a voicemail on our website, we do have access for that as well. Ah, yes, voicemail. We, we did get a voicemail. We mentioned that last episode, but we are saving it. For when we do our 12th Doctor discussion after this season is over. Because it is more appropriate for a 12th Doctor discussion. But uh, that, I think, is going to wrap up this episode yep. of Talking Time Lords. This has been episode number 90. 
We are ten away from one hundred, Paul. That's a little crazy. <laughs> this is the episode of title, Look, Don't Touch. Because it's Eisen. <laughs> I am loopy, Paul. It's fun. Though. It is I fun. Like it. We should do this more often and be loopy. <laughs> get back to you on that <laughs> but that's gonna wrap us up thank you everybody so much for listening and remember until next time may you hope far flung hopes and dream spating free dreams <laughs> <laughs> thanks everybody <laughs> <laughs> Thirsty too.